You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. What does it mean to flourish at work? Flourish at work? Is that even possible? Why is flourishing at work a specifically Christian endeavor? And what do we mean by culture? What are the keys to flourishing? Today's guest, Al Lopez, is going to help us to address some of those questions and not only address them, but share why we should be optimistic and why we should be hopeful about answering them well. Al's going to share with us why a difference really can be made so that Christian workplaces can become the best and what this means in witnessing to a world. Al is the author, along with Corey Hartman, of Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Wellbeing, published by University Press. He's also the co-founder and CEO of the Best Christian Workplaces Institute, which provides research-based measurement tools and strategic advisory services with a single vision to help Christian-led organizations set the standard as the best, most effective places to work in the world. He's got a number of clients and a number of clients across different fields, and I'm sure that you can identify with at least one of them, and perhaps more than one, in one of these places where you're giving leadership, or maybe you're in a position of following. And you are asking these questions about how do you thrive and how do you help others thrive and flourish in the workplace? If you are in a position of leadership or followership and asking these questions, today's episode is for you. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor and then enjoy the podcast. We are Wesley and you belong here. I'm Gloria Zikiwe and I am Wesley. My name is Chris, and guess what? I am Wesley. I'm Ryan Wagers, and I am Wesley. My name is Julius White, and I am Wesley. My name is Jen Peterson, and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here, too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Al. What a joy to have you with us. It's great, Aaron. Thank you so much for the invitation. Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Well-Being. Now, I'll say that's an ambitious title to put all the things that go into engagement and flourishing into a subtitle, and you've put it into eight keys that have been drawn from research and survey and the various instruments that you've used. But first, I'd love just to hear you tell us, why is flourishing, why are Christian workplaces so important to you? When I came to faith, which was in college, I went to a public university, Penn State University, and I was part of a Young Life uh, leadership team. And we were ministering to a local high school and state college, and we had a fantastic team. I mean, it really was an outstanding group of individuals that where we worked together and Because of the way we loved each other and served each other in leadership, I was amazed how this attracted people to Christ because they saw something different in us in the way that we interacted with each other. And that became a pattern for me as to the way Christian workplaces should actually be. And I thought about uh, going into ministry like uh, many of your students. And uh, yet, God clearly directed me into uh, into the business world uh, until the age of 50. And along the way, though I had worked uh, in a human resource consulting firm, a large international firm, and worked with a number of Christian organizations and, and of course, attended church all those years. And I saw organizations where relationships were toxic, where the workplace really had a 
toxic culture. And, and I saw how that hurt people uh, who were serving, and it really hurt their faith. And then I also, over time, saw how Christians actually turned away from the faith because of their workplace experiences. And I thought, that isn't right. And that is not uh, pleasing to God in, in, in any way. And I really got the conviction that I believe that Christian workplaces should set the standard as the best, most effective places to work in the world, because we have so many things going for us. Of course, God created us. He gave us his word, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And with, with those resources and the instructions, and again, what does the Holy Spirit gives us? Uh, love, peace, joy, and so on, that with that amongst Christians working together, it should really be a positive uplifting, engaging experience. And that was really the passion behind Best Christian Workplaces. We believe that Christian workplaces should be the best, most effective places to work in the world. We've got listeners in from parachurch organizations, nonprofit organizations, many in the business world, of course, that are find themselves engaged in ministry and business at the same time. We've also got a, you know many, many church leaders. Talk to us about how does church qualify as a Christian workplace? It might be a bit obvious, but it might be also somebody saying like, well, okay, I'm interested in, in culture. I'm, I'm interested in leadership. I'm interested in really developing a great, a great workplace. But is this, are you talking to me too, as a, as a church leader? What would you say? Absolutely. And we serve kind of four different sectors, Aaron, uh, churches, and we serve hundreds of churches. Uh, most of them would be larger churches, probably from, from the average perspective, you know, knowing that the average church has about 70 weekend attenders. But uh, yeah, we serve larger churches. We look at churches generally with more than 10 employees as, uh, as the group. We, we serve parachurch and mission organizations. Again, large organizations like the Navigators and rescue missions all over the country. And, and we actually have our engagement survey interpreted into 23 different languages. Uh, so we serve organizations around the world. Christian education is another area. In fact, Indiana Wesleyan University was at one point a best Christian workplace. And when Joanne, Dr. Joanne Lyon was uh, the head of the Wesleyan denomination, we had served her and, and the denomination was a certified best Christian workplace. Uh, you've got a great leader there for sure. We have Christian education from private schools to Bible colleges to Christian higher ed, and then uh, Christian-led businesses would be our, our other sector that we work in. So we've developed uh, relationships, and we've gathered hundreds of thousands of employee uh, engagement questionnaires from those four different sectors that, uh, that we work with. So you found some some common denominators, some common aspects that really stretch across. So you're speaking to a number of leaders here. And you've been able to distill and put them into eight key aspects. We won't get to all of those eight. They do line up with the acronym FLOURISH. And so I just use that as a, a plug for the, the title of the book. Somebody titled it well, probably yourself, A Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Well-Being. Before we delve into that, there's a word that's key to what's going on, and that's the word culture. It's not always a really clear word. It's kind of one of those words that everybody's able to use, and, and they know what it means until they try to define it. So I'm going to ask you, what do you mean by culture? When you're talking about transforming, changing, uplifting, what do you mean by culture? The way I think about culture is uh, we think of it as the way things are done around here. In every organization, things are done differently, you know, based on the individuals that are there at Culture is the shared beliefs and values of a group expressed 
in the way they prioritize their work, the way the decisions are made, and, and kind of the way then people behave. In formal and informal ways, cultures established by the people in the group, and it's formed more by the leaders in the group uh, than anything else, because people look to the leaders, okay, so how is the leader going to react to this or that or the other thing? And that then shapes the behavior of, uh, of other people. But everybody has a part in the culture, but it's, it's basically, the, I like to say it's the way things are done around here. And we also think of engaged employees. So culture is is the environment then that you bring people into to work. And then we want engaged employees in the workplace. And those are people that really bring their whole heart and soul into their work, where they're connected to their work and the organization in a way that aligns and, and engages them. So those are a couple of themes you know, around culture and engagement. Talk to us a little bit more engagement, or as I mentioned, the, the word earlier was flourish. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, you really want Christian workplaces to be the best, right? To yeah, be this right. place that people love going and that they're thriving. Talk to us about what's the employee, the person who's flourishing, who's thriving. What do they look like when they're flourishing? And we equate that with the word engaged as well. I mean, those are people that work with passion, who feel uh, a profound connection to the mission of the organization they're working with, that they they have drive and innovation and they move the organization forward. I mean, those are engaged people in a flourishing workplace. And, uh, you know, there's research out there and, and Gallup has uh, really promoted that maybe 33% of people are actually engaged in the workplace. Uh, they don't define what engaged is, but uh, we actually also say, well, amongst Christian organizations, it's more like about half of the people that uh, are in workplaces are, are engaged. And, uh, and about, you know, between a quarter and a third of organizations we work with uh, are in the flourishing category. And, and we measure that based on, on an employee engagement survey and then the overall scores uh, from the employees. Before we get into some of the the meat of the book and the meat of your findings, the person that's kind of coming to mind, if I've got two people on my shoulder, right, the old, the old devil and the, and the angel on your shoulder, you know, kind of one half is like, oh, man, like, I'm ready, right? I want to learn. I want to listen. Let Al talk and, and give me all the things I need to know. And then the other side of my shoulder, it's the person's like, yeah, right. It's not going to work. Like I tried, I've done this before, you know, the, the kind of the optimist and then the skeptic, maybe, I don't know, maybe I could find some better words, but what would you say to the person who maybe is coming at this with a skeptical approach? Well, I, I would say uh, be open uh, would be the first thing. You know, I, we kind of define even actively disengaged employees, and those those are the skeptics uh, in the workplace where they, they're unhappy at work, you know, and they make their unhappiness known. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that in the workplace where they un- even undermine the uh, engaged coworkers and trying to undermine what they accomplish. And I'm going to say that. Uh, the reality is people that are, they find roles that they're called to, that they can really flourish and be engaged in the workplace. And there's, you know, I mean, you, you talk about calling, I'm sure, in, in your classes and on leadership and pastoral theology, but, you know, God creates each of us with unique gifts and talents, uh, skills, experiences. And I believe that there's a place for us where we can actually flourish as as individuals. I mean, you know, I think about um, the psalm where it says, uh, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And uh, I believe God really wants individuals to flourish. And he's given us each, you know, work. I mean, work is an important part of, uh, of our lives that God has given us even, you know, from the beginning in the garden. So work is important. He wants us to be uh, 
to flourish. Uh, I think of Psalm 1, you know, where we can live by the stream where the trees uh, bear fruit even out of season. And I also think, you know, speaking of scripture and flourishing, so it's also important for the leader then, and I think of First Peter and, and Peter in his old age, you know, before his own crucifixion, you know, he, he tells the leaders of the church, the, the elders, but I just use the term leaders, to be shepherd the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, because you are willing as God wants you to be. And so to be shepherds, to actually know and take care of, of the flock that God has entrusted to you. And, you know, and I even reflect on that, you know, thinking about breakfast on the beach after the resurrection, the first time that probably Peter had a one-to-one encounter with Jesus after being, after denying him three times. And, you know, you talk about an awkward, perhaps, uh, oh gosh, Jesus, uh, yeah, I know I denied you three times and, you know, are we okay? And, you know, what does Jesus ask him three times? Well, uh, do you love me? And again, another awkward, you know, he's, he's got to ask him the same question three times. And, uh, but Jesus' response was, well, shepherd, you know, feed my sheep. You know, here's Peter at the end of, the, end of his life saying to leaders, to pastors, to shepherd the flock that God has given to them. You know, again, when you have staff with more than 10, to know the condition of your flocks. So that's Proverbs 27, 22. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. So again, with that shepherd orientation, well, okay, so how do you know the condition of your flocks? Well, you, you check them out. And this day and age, we have industrial organizational psychology-based questions that we can ask to actually know the condition uh, of the flock of the employees in a, uh, in a Christian setting. I appreciate that because it goes to, to me, at least I hear you can have a hopeful attitude towards work and towards communal work because it's part of the story. It's part of the Christian narrative. God gave responsibility that was meant to not just tasks to do, but was help to help humankind with their sense of purpose. It was to give them a role to play, right? And you, you use the word calling, right? There's something that it fits. And of course, Christ doesn't take the the calling to be active, engaged, and, and then scattered through the world, he reaffirms that, right? Go into all the world. And of course, Christ has that beautiful picture of the yoke that fits, right? It's it's right. it's easy. It keeps us on task. I also hear you say that there's a reason to be hopeful, not only because it's part of our story, but also because there's great tools, right? There's great tools available now to deploy. And I know for me, sometimes I can, I mean, I get familiar with the tools and I, I'll try to introduce them from time to time and introduce one to a student or to somebody else in, in some coaching, consulting I'm doing. But to be honest, I can feel a little overwhelmed. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, I've just got to go back. And what's the purpose? The purpose of these instruments is not to be overwhelmed. It's to make a difference actually in people's lives and in my own life. Whenever you get caught up with what God is doing in and through your workplace, whether it's church or a Christian nonprofit or Christian business, whatever it is, then you're more apt to invite people into it. Sometimes you can forget what it's like to invite people in, but you have to Kind of remember, jog your jog your memory, borrow somebody else's faith that, yeah, God is doing some things. And and even if it's a, a drier season for you, God turns those around. God can reform those. And, and it's what he's been doing from the from the start and wants to continue to do even into the eschaton, into the into the end. Let me read off the the different keys to transform culture for flourishing. The word flourish forms an acronym. You can't go into all of them. As I'm reading them. It'll give listeners a chance to kind of pick up their ears and maybe explore one a little bit more at at, uh, online bookseller. And I'd like you to pick one or maybe two that you'd like to talk about in depth a little bit more, right? The eight keys that make up the acronym are fantastic teams, life-giving work, 
outstanding talent, uplifting growth, rewarding compensation, inspirational leadership, sustainable strategy, healthy communication. Al, if you had to pick one or most two of those to talk a little bit more in depth about, what would they be? Even a question before that is, uh, so how did these get created? And uh, we have an extensive survey questionnaire. And so we, we work with Seattle Pacific University, the Christian University. They have a PhD program in industrial organizational psychology. These eight keys are not, you know, what Al Opus thinks are important. This is based on a factor analysis of all the data that we've collected that says all of these questions kind of group into eight areas. And these eight areas are correlated with overall employee engagement in Christian organizations. So that's another, another factor. So what are the things that most highly correlate with engagement of these eight? And let me just pick a couple. So inspirational leadership is at the top. You're a professor of, of Christian leadership and inspirational leadership, you know, and we use the word inspiration, which is kind of God breathed. Inspiration is God breathed. And it's basically uh, a key to Christian organizations because it counts on the fact that Christian character is important in Christian organizations for, for leaders. And we ask questions like, leaders exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, for example. Now, we also ask questions like, uh, in any organization, well, leaders have integrity or compassion or care about others or other key factors as well. But we really focus on Christian character. People working in Christian organizations expect leaders to act like Christians. And, uh, and that's an important part. The second part of inspirational leadership is competence. And we ask a question, our organization is well managed. And for an or a Christian organization to really run well, it needs to have systems that work well. And because when systems are broken, and there isn't much of attention paid to systems, then frustration happens in relationships inside the organization. So Christian organizations are often known for having great vision and poor implementation. And uh, implementation is also uh, critically important. And then all of that is based on trusting relationships between senior leadership and, uh, and employees at all levels and, and, of course, beyond. So those are key aspects of inspirational leadership, but and it's the most important. But also right there with it in terms of importance is the factor of uh, what we consider life-giving work, you know, because this is what Christian organizations, uh, how they're differentiated from secular organizations, because the work that employees in Christian organizations do impact lives for eternity. Now, where else can you say that? And it draws people, uh, I mean, I think of uh, professors and teachers and in, in Christian education. I mean, th there's a calling. They want to work. They want to help people grow in their faith. You just don't have that opportunity teaching in a secular kind of an environment. So it's really, uh, you know, where people do work that's full of meaning, that has significance and purpose, uh, that's life-giving work, and where, where the staff are really devoted to their role to utilize their, their skills, their spiritual gifts, and all that they do. So that's our competitive advantage, quite frankly, in the Christian workplace, uh, along with inspirational leadership. Those are the two key drivers. And at the bottom of the list, is uh, rewarding compensation. People don't come to work in Christian organizations for compensation, <laughs> for sure. But it's still important, and it's a way that employees will think that the organization actually cares about them because they're able to support their uh, their families. 
That's really interesting that you that you brought it up. I actually wanted to, to ask you about compensation and about another one that doesn't always stand out maybe in, in Christian organizations, not that there aren't talented people, but that would leaders and managers in Christian organizations be so forthright as to say, like, I'm always looking for talent. I'm sure some would, but I also can hear some say, like, oh, no, I'm not as concerned about talent. I want the right person, or I'm not as concerned about talent because I believe God can work with anybody. For somebody who's, you know, heard that list and their ears kind of peaked at outstanding talent and rewarding compensation. How do these fit into the the Christian workplace? How do these fit into a Christian view of things where we might be tempted to to play the God card, so to speak, and say, oh, God will take care of the finances or or God will will provide the right people regardless of what their talents are? What would you say to that? The way we look at talent, outstanding talent, is that, uh, you know, we believe that Christian and that flourishing cultures engage highly qualified people with the necessary calling character, competence, chemistry, and contribution to achieve the organization's uh, mission. I mean, we look at attracting outstanding talent, rewarding them, retaining them, and promoting them. And that takes a process. So, but every organization, and this this takes pastors, uh, Jeff Lockyer up in uh, a church in St. Catharines uh, and, and has been uh, on our podcast. You know, he used to believe that uh, everybody should fit into a church culture you know, that uh, there's no such thing as uh, chemistry. Then, you know, he got, took his leadership team offsite and he said, okay, so what are the values of people that actually get it and work hard and, and fit here? And then what about those that don't? And, uh, you know, it was very clear that, oh, there's a set of values that really fit in his organization and that church. If people didn't share those values, even though they're Christians, if they didn't share those values, then then it was just a bad working experience for that person. So, so having the right uh, chemistry is the way we uh, would refer to that is uh, is also key. So, yeah, making sure again, this is you know we want to have people that have the right uh, character, you know, chemistry, calling, and able to make a contribution is uh, is the way we look at it. Sometimes there's a bit of skepticism when you look at the traditionally not all the listeners, of course, but. I'm sure all our listeners are familiar with somebody who's looked uh, askance or with a bit of skepticism at at business literature and and sometimes for good reason. They say, well, the church is different from that. And of course, the church is different from that. It doesn't mean there aren't things to learn from the business world. And especially when it's being tied into flourishing, one of the things that deeply formed me in the midst of doing performance reviews, which I was I would give and receive in the midst of looking at culture in our church and see who was fitting in and who was fitting out, so to speak, right, exactly. was a, a deep conviction. I got this from Rick Warren, where he said, everybody's a 10 somewhere. If they're not thriving, if they're not flourishing, then that doesn't mean that they have less potential. It doesn't mean that they have less of whatever else. It just means they can thrive and flourish somewhere else. If you don't have the ability to recognize that or don't have a conviction that they can thrive somewhere else, then you might keep them in a spot where they're not thriving. And the irony is that's not a high view of the person. It's actually a low view. If you say like, yeah, they're not doing very well here, but this is probably the best they can do anywhere. I mean, what a low view of the other person. And Rick Warren really, really helped me out on that to say like, no, somebody, they can thrive, they can flourish. It just might not be here. You know, I was, again, a a leader, a a managed uh, dozens of people in my uh, secular career. And I've unfortunately had to lay off several over time for different reasons. And at one point I looked back, I knew usually what happened with those people over time. Every one of them ended up in a better spot. You know, it wasn't with us, but it was in a better spot. Their lives were better. 
you know, some, we were just, uh, didn't have enough work for them in one case and other cases, it was, uh, they didn't fit into our culture and it became a, a performance uh, issue. And, but every one of them worked in a, a year later was in a better spot than where, where they were with us. And I've really seen that over and over again. And, and I appreciate what you're saying about uh, performance reviews. I mean, those are things that, that are important in an organization for sure. And every, I'd encourage every organization to be sure that you've got those kinds of disciplines in place because that does it just helps with communication it helps with expectations it helps with all those things that need to be part you know one of the things that i'm often asked is uh, in the with covid and remote work what's key to making sure that an organization has a great culture and the key is the the manager you know the connection between an employee and their manager and having those kinds of uh, actual mandatory, if you will, uh, one-on-ones every week or every other week, uh, regular performance reviews. That way, employees understand how they're doing, how they can be better. There are discussions for recognition. Recognition is important, something we really recommend in in flourishing cultures. So, So really developing that relationship and making sure that's a strong one, because, you know, you probably heard of the great resignation. We're in this period right now in our country where there's more people quitting. There's 4.25 million people in America that quit their jobs in January, and it was 4.5 in uh, in November. And just record numbers of people are quitting their jobs, coming out of COVID, looking for something else. And uh, and there's 10.7 million open jobs. So how is it that you're going to keep uh, your employees in their roles currently? We think the anecdote to the right resignation is having a flourishing culture. You know, a lot of our, our listeners are pastors, fortunately or unfortunately or indifferently, just whatever it is, reality is pastors are often seen to be people who are are not paid extremely well. And then, you know, the kind of the irony, the flip side of that, and it's great skepticism whenever you see a pastor who's extremely well paid, right? And the question is like, well, why are they doing this, right? What's in it? You know, they kind of go back, you mentioned First Peter 5, you know, like, Oh, maybe they're not being forced to, right? There's a there's another reason they might be engaged in caring for this flock. But I have in mind the person that they're a pastor, man or woman, theirs is, if not the most significant, a significant part of their home's income. And they just find themselves saying, you know what, I'm feeling underappreciated. And they say, I'm not in this to make great wealth, but it's just running up against, you know, our ability to to have a undue stress in our home, right? My, my yeah. kids feel a bit of the pinch and I don't want them to be soured towards the church, whatever else. Talk to the, the person who's in that spot. Maybe they're even feeling guilty to say, I should be doing this without giving more consideration to the compensation. What would you say from your, from your research? It is important. It's one of the eight drivers. I mean, it, it shows up, you know, both uh, pay, remuneration, as well as benefits uh, is all part of rewarding compensation. You know, we consider it uh, tangible remuneration and benefits for an employee service. And there's a whole bunch of scripture about uh, not muzzling the ox and, you know, and fairness around pay. So there is a a scriptural basis. I mean, God knows that we need uh, to be taken care of from basic needs. You know, having a compensation philosophy, which I go to a relatively small church and uh, pastor compensation is a topic. There are lots of surveys out there where you can actually identify. So what is a a competitive level of compensation for a pastor? And of course, then there's cost of living differentials. I mean, someplace in Des Moines, Iowa versus uh, 
Seattle, Washington, you know, where I'm at, there's cost of living differences that should be taken into consideration. So, so having, you know, some resources, uh, again, uh, Christianity Today has a, a subsidiary that has a compensation survey that's, you know, pretty widely used for uh, smaller churches. And then, then there's a couple of large compensation surveys for larger churches. So there is data out there, and that helps to take it to a professional level of saying, okay, here's competitive levels of pay. Now, then you can talk about, you know, what's the performance of the individual within that. But uh, I recommend a philosophy and looking at, at good benchmark data in order to help set compensation. And then we've found just taking compensation off the table as an annoyance makes the relationship with a pastor so much better, for sure. The book is Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Well-Being. It's published by InterVarsity Press. The very last part of the book is First Steps. I always like to finish up with a, a kind of tangible approach or a tangible encouragement, regardless of what the topic is. And so I'd like to bring that to you today. What is the first of the first steps, so to speak, that you'd, that you'd give to listeners? Aaron, I'd say the first step is uh, in order to be an effective servant leader and a Christian leader, you need to accept feedback. And that is, again, know the condition of your flock. How do you know? Well, because you're asking questions, you're getting feedback. Okay, so what kind of feedback are we talking about? Well, you know, for 10 or more staff, you know, having an outside employee engagement survey is probably a good first step. What are people really thinking about, again, a well-designed questionnaire? Another thing for smaller uh, churches that don't have that large of a staff Getting feedback around a 360 review. Again, there's a, a couple that are out there. Some churches, some denominations even have some uh, some guides. But uh, I really recommend a 360. And again, you're getting feedback from your your board. If it's an independent you know church that has an elder board, you're getting feedback from your key volunteers. Uh, maybe some of your uh, core attenders, you know, people that you're uh, helping to disciple, but getting feedback about your leadership. And again, this is about leadership. What's the character, competence, and chemistry? How are you, how you are leading? Because the way we learn, and again, I believe all of us uh, benefit from seeing how we're actually being experienced by others. The way we learn is feedback from others and having good tools, you know, that are are carefully crafted, you know, with some science behind them for sure, is a great way for feedback. We want servant leaders, not self-serving leaders. And, uh, and a key to servant leadership is, is uh, looking for feedback so they can, they can, and we can be more effective. Joining us today has been Al Lopez. Al is the co-founder and CEO of the Best Christian Workplaces Institute. He, along with Corey Hartman, is the author of Road to Flourishing, published by University Press. There they discuss eight keys to boost employee engagement and well-being. Al, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wesley Seminary podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Aaron, and uh, God bless you. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. The Wesley Seminary podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. I trust we've done just that today. Thanks, Connor, for your production work. Appreciate the way that you make the podcast flourish. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.